0: Welcome to the connect church podcast our mission is to connect the disconnected to a growing relationship with god you can connect with god and we can help Good morning. Uh, my name is Tyler, as Nate shared, and I am the operations leader here. And I have the pleasure of continuing our message series here in the Gospel of John. So um, we've been looking at through the Gospel of John who Jesus is. So my goal today is that you would also learn something new about who Jesus is. So as we've seen throughout, uh, Jesus comes across in a couple of different ways to different people. Jesus looks different to different people, even though he's doing the exact same thing in front of each person. And um, we just see that, yeah, people have different responses. So back in chapter five, we read about how Jesus was healing a man on Sunday. To the Jews, this was extremely sinful. So there was many who looked at him and said, how dare you do this? You're working on the Sabbath. And they got angry with him. While others were completely blown away by what he did and saw him as a savior and a healer. The religious leaders saw him as a heretic and a sinner. He was claiming to be equal to God. John chapter 5, verse 15 says, The man who Jesus healed went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who made him well. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always working, is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried to kill him even more. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. We see that even though the man who was healed, um, yeah, even both to the man who was healed and the religious leaders, they both experienced Jesus' miracle, but their view of Jesus was different. So again, in chapter 10, a couple weeks ago, Jesus had a similar situation happen where he began teaching to the people who he was with. And in verse 27 of chapter 10, he says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the Father are one. What Jesus is saying here is an amazing truth. No one can snatch us out of God's hand. Jesus is the way to God. Seems pretty clear, but let's read on a little bit more. In chapter 10, it says, Again, the Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. And Jesus said to them, 'I, I have shown you many good works from the Father, for which of these are you going to stone me? We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy because you are a mere man claiming to be God. So they want to stone Jesus just for that, just for the words that came out of his mouth. Even though they had seen him heal and teach, people see Jesus differently. Some see him as a threat, others see him as a savior. And throughout the series, as I was thinking about this duality of Jesus that we keep witnessing, uh, it reminded me of something. It's a little cheesy, but back in 2015, does anybody remember the dress that like blew up the world, right? Um, it was that black and blue dress that the mother had taken a picture of, and she sent it to her daughter to say, hey, uh, can I wear this at your wedding? The daughter then saw it come through on her phone and said, no, this is a white and gold dress. You cannot wear white to my wedding, mother. That's a big no-no, obviously. The mother then looked and was confused because the dress was black and blue, right? So I'm curious now, which one do you guys see? Here's a picture of it. How many of you guys see black and blue? OK, a fair number. How many of you white and gold? Yeah, OK, I'm on the white and gold side. We're the, the few. Actually, I've seen both in my time, which is confusing. Um, now I can't see anything but white and gold at this point. But uh, actually, does anybody see anything different? OK, good, because otherwise you'd have to go see a doctor. Um, so anyways. Um, this is a silly analogy, but it's the analogy that there's one item that people see differently. It's very confusing, and Jesus was this exact way. He was both wor- worshiped and he was hated. And this is true today, right? Jesus, even 2,000 years later, is either worshiped or hated and despised. Usually whenever I share Jesus with somebody that I don't know that well, I usually get one of two responses. Either a, hey, I love Jesus. That's awesome. Yes, he is awesome. Or I get the other response of, uh, no, I don't really believe in that fairy tale crap. In whichever way that you feel about Jesus today, my hope is that you would know the true Jesus and see him for who he really is. So let's do that. Let's turn to John 15 together. That's where God has us this morning. Um, And again, we see Jesus talking to his followers. So in verse 1, Let's read together, it says, "'I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes so that it'll be even more faithful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you.'" Remember that word, remain. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay, that word remain, we'll come back to that in a second. But to back this up even further, what it, Jesus is painting a picture here of God as the gardener. He's taking care of the garden, right? And then Jesus is the vine that's growing. We see that in verse 1 and in verse 5. And then Jesus calls us the branches, and we get to bear fruit in verse 5. But what does all this mean? Well, the word remain in verse 6, uh, there's, it's the Greek word meno. Meno can also mean abide. And in the ESV version, we actually see them use that word abide. Uh, and Jesus, simply put, is telling us to abide in him. Okay, but abide, what does that exactly mean? I've been Doing a word study on it because it's a pretty important word. Uh, To abide in something is to remain stable or fixed in a state. So, simply put, Jesus is asking his followers to stay in a constant, connected state with him. We see the analogy that he makes of being the vine and us as the branches. Jesus is the main vine that grows and moves, and branches come off of that main vine. Only he can create branches. And they can only exist if they're connected to the main life source of the vine, Jesus. So how do we do this? How would we abide in Jesus? Well, we, a couple ways that I've known, after being a Christian for a little while, we abide in Jesus in a couple different ways. We can stay connected with him by reading his word consistently. This is our lifeline to him. God's word is written for us and to us to m- learn more about who Jesus is, and God speaks through his word. Another thing we can do is pray consistently. This is where we can repent of our sin and we get to communicate back with God and listen. It goes right in hand with God's word. And then finally, being in a community of believers as well, being surrounded by those who are also reading their Bibles and praying is another way to abide. God never intended for us to do this thing alone. And so thankfully, here at Connect Church, we're able to do this. I know I've benefited greatly from this community in particular. But why would you want to do this? Okay, So that's how you abide. You read God's word, you pray, you be in a community with other believers, but why in the world would you want to do that? Well, I can share a little bit of an experience of how God changed our circumstances by doing so. So just a month ago, a little bit over a month ago, my third son was born, Trey, and uh, it was an amazing miracle. Uh, God's faithfulness proved time and time again. I'll let my wife, Emmy share the entire story at some point, uh, if you want to ask her about it. But basically, everyone in her life and in my life was telling her, you need to do a C-section. Because our second son, who was born, was a C-section, and so doing a natural birth after that poses a lot of health risks. So everybody was telling her, myself included, you have to do this. But she knew deep in her heart that that wasn't exactly what God had in store. And so she asked me time and time again, To pray and each time that i prayed i didn't hear an answer i'll be honest i i prayed for a long time for months and i just kept saying no 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 but deep down she just knew that's not what she wanted to do and it wasn't what she was supposed to do so we continued to pray on it we sought wisdom we researched and eventually god convicted me that i was lacking faith i wanted to take the safe route i said why would we take all these risks whenever you can just do the easy way but she convicted me of that. And we decided to do a natural birth, and we both felt confident in the plan, and we, we submitted it to God, honestly. I tried to lead with faith and say, God, there's a lot of risks with this, but we trust you. And to put it more simply than I ever should, God answered every single one of our prayers, and it went perfectly. So this is now Trey, who was just born, and I'm so proud of Emmy and so thankful And I mean, look how cute that little dude is. But then, about a week later, after he was born, uh, his newborn screening came back with concern. We didn't think much of it, so we just went to the pediatrician a little early and got another test done. Um, After receiving those test results, we then now get a call from the Colorado Department of Genetics, and they're calling us saying, hey, your son needs to get tested again immediately. So we dropped everything on a Thursday and we went straight to Children's Hospital and uh, had to get his blood drawn. Now, I don't like needles. I like especially hate needles, but seeing them go into my two-week-old son's arm uh, makes me hate them even more. And so anyways, we, we go through all of this and the doctors are concerned that he might have this disease called Pompe disease. It could kill him by the time he's one years old. And, or... The other option is he could have some muscle weakness later in life. There's a huge disparity between the two. So we prayed, we sought God, we asked our family to pray with us, we read our Bibles, we prayed, and we asked our church family to join us in praying as well because we believe in the power of prayer. And thankfully, after that final testing, it came back negative for the worst case. And we're so thankful for that. But then, we needed to kind of have a follow-up Zoom call with Children's Hospital. And uh, the state of Colorado genetics experts were on this call. This fancy doctor was there and they basically diagnosed him with this rare disease called late onset Pompe disease. And what that means is a whole slew of things. So sometime between the age of one and 80, he could experience muscle loss of muscle function. Sometimes that muscle function can affect the heart. It can affect the brain. We have a lot of muscles in our body. So they're guessing on a lot of this. They have no idea if his enzymes are working properly or not. Out of everybody in the world, 8, eight billion people that now are on the world, he is the only one with this specific mutation. So we have no idea what it means exactly. So doctors at Duke, at Mayo Clinic, a team of 50 doctors at Children's Hospital are now looking at Trey's charts in blood work, trying to figure out what in the world does this mean. Trey has become the most famous person in my family, and he's not even barely a month old. The disease is literally out of everyone's hands at this point. And we are choosing to trust God because God's got him in his hands. Now, I can only imagine the fear and anxiety that we would be experiencing beyond what we've already felt. Not to say we didn't feel some. We absolutely did. All parents get concerned for their kids. But I can only imagine the more that we'd be feeling if we weren't connected with Jesus. If we weren't abiding in him. You see scary diagnosis like this and uh, tragedy we are promised to experience here on earth. I wish it wasn't the case. But without Jesus, those things become way harder. You see, um, whenever doctors and other people reach out, it can scare us. And so if we were living uh, without Jesus, we wouldn't have this great community of people. We probably wouldn't have the family members that we have. We probably wouldn't be as well connected or uh, as close with them without Jesus. So honestly, if we weren't Christians and we were to receive this news, we would be trying to find whoever we could to join community with. And we'd be reaching out and we would be asking people to be thinking about us. And those people would probably say, oh, good luck with your issue. We'd be waiting on thinking and luck for the outcome of Trey. So my wife um, amidst hearing all this, she joined a Facebook group just to learn more about the disease and see other families who've dealt with it. And I'll be honest, the parents on this Facebook group are a complete wreck. They are a wreck. They're talking about uh, not keeping some of the babies that they have. They're talking about doing IVF for future babies and destroying their babies. If they end up having this specific genetic mutation of their GAA genes, they're turning to social media and they're desperate for some sort of community. So we're seeing now the people who don't have Jesus are freaking out, completely afraid of what the future holds. But because we have Jesus, we know who holds Trey's future. You see, without Jesus, he says in verse six, we will, you would be doing nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And that's exactly what we'd be doing. We'd be anxiously waiting around, but instead we're enjoying our son even more. But because we have others who love us and those who know us and a family who loves Jesus and a church family who loves Jesus, we are confident in the truth. And because we read God's word that provides comfort and because we've prayed for Trey, because we believe in the power of prayer, we aren't just thinking and waiting on luck to change our circumstances. God can move mountains. How much easier could he change Trey's life? And the reality of a situation is that, yeah, one day, between one years old and 80 years old, he will experience some muscle loss and function. But any one of us could walk outside today and get hit by somebody who's texting and driving and die on the spot. I pray that doesn't happen to any of us. But it's the reality that life is short. Make the most of it. So let's abide in Jesus now instead. See, Jesus changes our situation by providing truth. His word is truth in his prayer as comfort, in community as support. So let's continue in John 15, because I think Jesus also has some other things to teach us this morning. Uh, Jesus tells us to abide, but he also tells us to bear fruit. He says the fruit that he wants us to bear is this. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. This is in verse 12. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends, and if you do what I command... And in verse 17, he says it again, this is my command, love each other. Seems simple enough, love each other, right? This is his command, this is how we bear fruit. But I don't think Jesus is saying, oh, just be nice to your neighbors and wave to them as they walk by. I think the love that he's talking about, he just described it. Lay down your life for one another. That is a lot tougher to do. So you and I are supposed to go and tell everyone about Jesus. You've heard it said, that if your best friend is sprinting towards a cliff and doesn't know the edges there, you would obviously stop them from sprinting off that cliff. And the reality is, is all of us are sprinting towards our spiritual death in that exact same way. Every single one of us. And so as we're abiding in Jesus, we're convicted of that even more. That we should save others. We should tell them and let Jesus save them. Our fruit is determined by our connection with Jesus, right? Um, I just said that. So our hearts will break for those who don't know Jesus, and it'll compel us to share his love. This is the witness that we're supposed to bear about Jesus. So the next point that Jesus, I think, wants us to do is bear witness about him to everyone we come in contact with. But there's one thing with that that Jesus says that will be pruned as a result. In verse 2, he says, Every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that he'll be even more fruitful. Now, I'll be honest, pruning does not exactly sound ideal. Um, A gardener who is pruning a branch will cut off parts of the branch that are not desirable or will grow fruit. I don't really want part of me cut off, right? And pruning can hurt. So for the disciples that he's speaking to here, the disciples were going to a season of pruning. They were about to lose Jesus. And so they were about to experience loss and fear and hatred they were about to be tested. Their faith was about to be tested. And pruning is usually, God does this so that he'll remove a sin in our life. Or that he'll make us stronger. So, it could be your doubt. For the disciples, it was their doubt. For you, it could be your anxiety. It could be your depression. It could be your lust. It could be your pride. Your lack of courage. Or your lack of discipline. Whatever sin you may struggle with today, if you're truly abiding in Jesus, it will get pruned. And this transitions to Jesus' next teaching, beginning in, 50, uh, in chapter, sorry, verse 18. Jesus says that if we do these things and remain faithful to Jesus, and we remain connected, we abide, then we will be hated for it. Look what he says in verse 18. It says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged in the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I said, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, then they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. So this is the good news. Jesus is saying that we're going to be hated, right? Um, No, actually, that's the bad news. The good news is, is that we don't have to do it alone. Jesus was hated first. Jesus was hated way more than we ever would be. We think hate today is bad in our country now. Jesus was hated so much worse then. He experienced the worst of the worst so he can help you through your worst. He endured it and he will go through it with us. Not just hate, he'll go through all of our trials with us. The trials or hatred that we experience is not for nothing. Let's continue in verse 26. It says, When the Helper comes, whom I send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. The Holy Spirit is promised to us through the hate we will experience. And then we will bear witness about Jesus. We are hated so that we will bear witness. So bear witness about Jesus. So pruning for us often can look like trials, or loss, or hatred, or even tough, or a tough diagnosis. And so I think this whole disease thing that's been going on with my son is a season of pruning for us. It's, so, it's an opportunity for us to bear witness and bear more fruit in our lives. Because like how cool would it be if through all this disease stuff, my wife were to witness about Jesus on that Facebook page of all those parents who were freaking out, How cool would it be for every six months of his life, we're going to have to do checkups. We're going to have to visit doctors and nurses. What if I was to share the good news and our faith in Jesus every single time we went? And probably most importantly, we're definitely going to raise Trey to know that he's fearfully and wonderfully made and know that the confidence and instill that confidence in him that he should praise Jesus no matter what the future holds. And I don't know what trials you've experienced or what trials you might be experiencing right now in this moment or what you've endured or what flaw you might think is holding you back. But whatever it is, it doesn't have to. God can overcome your situation. Abiding in Jesus changes the outcome of your situation. Moses, for example, in the Old Testament had a speech impediment. God still used him he even murdered a guy, actually, and God still used him to free the, the slaves in Egypt. David, who committed adultery as a king and then killed his own general, was still known as a as a man after God's own heart. Solomon, who had seven hundred wives and three hundred concubines, was still used to build God's holy temple, even though he was not a very holy guy. Paul, a man who killed hundreds of Christians, was still used to expand the gospel and write most of the New Testament. Every one of us who ever talks from this stage, who leads worship from up here, we've all struggled with some form of pride, lack of self-control, lust, anxiety, fear. It's the reality of the Christian faith. We are all gonna struggle. We're all gonna face trials and experience loss and deal with hate. But Jesus is bigger than all of our shortcomings. He has experienced the worst of the worst, so he can help you through your worst. So know Jesus, abide in him, and if you do, you'll be pruned. It'll be painful, absolutely, but it's so that you'll bear witness about him. And know this, you don't have to do it alone. Jesus is here for you, and this community here at Connect is also here for you as well. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, Lord, thanks that you took our pain and our loss and our shortcomings to the cross. Lord, thanks that you bore witness, Lord, and that we get to do the same. God, I pray that you would convict us, that we would um, that we would abide in you. God, so whatever that looks like for us today, Lord, whether that's reading our Bible more, whether that's praying to you more, God, whether that is... Um, connecting with believers, Lord, and getting a better community in our lives. Lord, whatever that action point is for us, will you convict us of that today and this morning? God, would you convict us that we don't have to do this alone? Lord, you have been through the worst of the worst, so you can help us through our worst. God, and we submit ourselves to you and just ask that you would help us know who you really are, that you would help us in our times of need, God, and that we would share your love abundantly. God, we love you, and we ask all this in your name. Amen.